Yeah, and then I was just kind of like part of their family, and they're like, oh, you got to go to Berkeley and stuff. Like, come to this camp. And I was like, no, I don't have the money. Like, I'm not going. I was like, college is a scam. No. <laughs> they're like, you have to do it. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and then I did it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Keith Billick here, bringing you another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the world's foremost podcast for banjos and the people who love them. So if you fit that description, welcome in. And heck, even if you don't, make yourself at home and uh, enjoy your stay. I'm actually proud of myself. I'm getting this episode to you about a day ahead of time, um, you know, compared to my usual schedule. And there's a very exciting reason for that. A lot of you who have been regular listeners remember about a year or two ago, I went on an interview gathering road trip down to Nashville, and that resulted in a lot of really cool interviews. Well, I'm going to do the uh, same thing again. However, this time it's going to be through uh, Virginia and some parts of Pennsylvania. And I cannot wait to have you all see the list of interviewees that I have coming up over the next week, but uh, that'll be my little secret for the time being. But you know what brought this all along was uh, I, I had a bit of a uh, revelation a year or two ago. There was one year that we lost uh, Bill Emerson, we lost Sonny Osborne, we lost J.D. Crow, and possibly even one or two others uh, that I'm forgetting, but it, it really occurred to me that for what I'm doing with this podcast, for a lot of the players who aren't going to come to me, I have to go to them. So I'm, I'm really proud. Now, I, I'm not suggesting that everyone I'm going to be interviewing over the next week is knocking on uh, death's door, but uh, th they're just the type of players who probably aren't going to be touring through suburban Detroit anytime soon. So like I said, I am going to them and eventually will be sharing all of that with you. Now, I absolutely cannot forget to mention that this would not be possible at all if it were not for my lovely, talented Patreon supporters of the show. Uh, if you head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast, that is where you sign up to throw me a measly few bucks a month. And that really does help keep the show running and helps me go gather these interviews from some real banjo legends. So today we have a very special Patreon supporter of the show to recognize. That is Kim Nikkei. Kim, thank you so much for your support. As I just described, I could not do it without you and the fellow Patreon supporters. So once again, patreon.com slash banjo podcast. And thank you to Kim Nikkei, today's Patreon supporter of the show. Now, of course, you can always email the show as well with all of your helpful suggestions, questions, and other feedback. That's pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to help me out on all of the internet algorithms by liking and subscribing on, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. If you see me in any of those places, make sure you give the old thumbs up and subscribe button a try there.
Today's featured guest is Victor Furtado, one of the top young claw hammer banjoists on the scene today. He currently tours and performs and records with the Wildmans. Victor started playing the banjo at the ripe old age of nine, so he has been around old time and bluegrass music all his life and is very experienced with that, but has gone on to really forge his own sound. He won the uh, Steve Martin Banjo Prize a few years ago and went to Berklee College of Music where he just graduated. And frankly, he does some things on the Clawhammer banjo that I have never heard people do before, and he was able to demonstrate a lot of those really cool and innovative techniques during this interview. Uh, This interview did happen at Midwest Banjo Camp last week, so this is the first of a few that I was able to do there. And this also is a first for the Picky Fingers Banjo podcast, the first group of siblings to appear. Victor is also the younger brother of uh, Gina Furtado, who we know and love around these parts. So give a warm Picky Fingers welcome to Victor Furtado. I'm the youngest of nine kids. <laughs> yeah, that blows me away. <laughs> we're not all kids anymore. Right. But yeah, my older we're, siblings... Were all nine of you ever kids at one time? Are, are you pretty compact? Actually, like, what's the age surprisingly, range? yes, I Dang. would say. I think my older brother is... The oldest, I think, is 14 years older. Okay, yeah. And Gina's so, maybe 12 years yeah, older. Yeah, you were all kids for a few years there. Yeah. So yeah, um, my older siblings all played music... They had a family band. Um, they were going to Galax Fiddlers Convention, mm-hmm. mostly, and the oldest one was playing saxophone, I remember. Oh, interesting. Kid. Yeah. And he actually uh, graduated music school in New Orleans recently for piano. Whoa. And, uh, he's like a, he plays a lot of different styles. And I know you have another sister who's a cellist. I have a cellist sister. Uh-huh. Other than the saxophone, you know, the the black sheep saxophone player, uh-huh. are most of you in the general umbrella of like traditional string band type of instruments? Yeah, I mean, the cello player isn't so much of a bluegrass musician. That's Christina, right. um, but Gina, yeah, bluegrass banjo player, and Malia is a great um, bluegrass fiddler, mm-hmm. and then and plays with Gina regularly, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah cool. And then Lou plays the bass. Lou is the sibling just older than me. Okay. So, <laughs> so um, are you the only claw hammer banjoist? Um, Lou, my older sibling right above me, they play claw hammer as well. Okay. Yeah. So I'm wondering with, with so many different, you know, you, you having been exposed to so many different instruments growing up, um, do you remember what it was about the banjo that made you gravitate that direction because i imagine you had potentially your choice of uh, almost anything yeah yeah there was literally yeah mandolins banjos literally like 10 fiddles in your house yeah in my house wow there was a mountain dulcimer at at a period piano cellos yeah but my older brother joe he went to galax and heard the bubba george string band okay and they're just like a really groovy old time string band and we were, apparently he was camped next to them, and so 
he had always been, you know, around the bluegrass scene, and he just really liked the old-time fiddling. So he picked up old-time fiddling, and then we ended up going to another festival called Clifftop, sure, aka Appalachian Stringman Festival in West Virginia, uh-huh. and that's primarily old-time. And yeah. I think I was probably like six or something, maybe even younger when I first went. And yeah, right about when I was nine years old, I I just really gravitated towards the um, the banjo and the, specifically the claw hammer. And my brother Joe at the time was really into it. So I know it's tough to remember when you were that age, but was there someone you saw playing that really, I don't know, ma- made you go that direction? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I'm sure there's just so many, you know, at Clifftop. And yeah, people, just it's, everywhere. It's funny because now um, going to the festivals, I'm, I'm kind of like meeting them, but I'm like, it's like these people that I've just known. Yeah. But I'm like older. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm Victor, by the way, because like I was just a little kid running around. Yeah, and, it's hard to recognize you probably for them. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. People like um, Adam Hurt. I would hear him and really liked his sound. and Of course. Um, Kathy Fink. Mm-hmm. Um, Hillary Burhans, for sure. Okay. She's here, and right. she was just like, she's just always been this lady at Clifftop in my mind, you know, just having good jams and just having this really driving old-time banjo sound. That's cool. How did you progress in your learning? Did you get a banjo pretty soon after that? Were your parents pretty supportive of, like, if one of the kids expressed interest, they would try yeah. to make that happen for you? Yeah, yeah. So um, I was kind of... In my mind, I was just going to learn an instrument. Like, I was like, well, I'm nine, you know, I guess it's time to learn something. Yeah. But I was never really told, like, oh, you have to learn an instrument. Like, I was never forced. Sure. Um, and But there was a bunch of banjos around. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think my sister, Teresa, started playing Clawhammer before me. Okay. And that was right around when I was nine. So um, she had a deering good time. Mm-hmm. And... I picked that up eventually, and I, I was plucking out um, some some tune with the open strings. Yeah. And then I started playing it, um, started playing the claw hammer. And then, other than just having the the sound of the music, you know, like ingrained in my in in me, um, I got a Murphy Method DVD mm-hmm. in which Lynn Morris taught claw hammer. Okay. And so awesome. that was the start. Yeah, there was like five or six tunes that I started on. So the the family band that you grew up with or that was in your family mm-hmm. as you were growing up, was that a flexible outfit? Like was it sort of the expectation that you would be a part of that too or or were you a part of that? Uh, I was never a part of it. And it was kind of like by the time I was nine, I think it was pretty much done for. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Everyone right. was too old, is that why? Like they They were just kind of, they just wanted to do their own thing. And okay. They were just done with it. It was like with my dad and they are like, I don't want to be in a band with my dad. So <laughs> they no, kind of, yeah, just branching off and they were just doing. It wasn't quite as cool as it was when they were. Yeah, they kind of um, joined other bands of their own. I remember Gina was playing with some local musicians and they were kind of joining, you know, like higher because they were a lot better than my parents. Okay. <laughs> they surpassed them. <laughs> You're going to be grounded for that one, Victor. <laughs> so I, I read kind of in your bio that you started doing contests pretty early too. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So like, how did you 
prepare for those? How did you go from learning basics on Murphy method to coming up with these like contest arrangements of these pieces? Well, a lot of the festivals, just for context, just have contests. Mm -hmm. And so like most people do it. And even some festivals like Galax, you get some of your entry fee back if you compete. Right. Because it's like part of the attraction. It's like, oh, you get to see everybody on stage performing Uh and competing and stuff. So it was kind of just like normal to do the contest. Okay. I just, yeah, when I did the Murphy Method when I was nine, I think I was literally playing like no less than five hours every day. Wow. And I remember just waking up and like being so obsessed with it. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't remember like what was going through my mind, but I would just, I would like, there would be something harder, harder tune that I would get. I remember I was working on Cluckled Hen and mm-hmm. I had this pull off. And I was like eight or nine and I was just like determined. I would not stop practicing it until I got it. <laughs> so like, what does that sound like? And, and I guess what would you advise people maybe if they're, if they have a roadblock uh, of that nature? That was, um, I was just really, I was just loving it. I think, mm-hmm. I guess I would just say, do something that you love. Just keep working at it. And, um, Somebody was asking me here, like, oh, um, they were trying to learn the fiddle and it was like not going so well. And they're kind of getting like, oh, I don't know. Because they're trying to learn the banjo at the same time. And they're asking me if I learned two instruments at the same time. And I was kind of just suggesting, like, pick one that really motivates you and stick to that one, I think. Yeah, a lot of people ask, like, what's easier? And they're sort of missing the point that doing something you love is the easiest. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter which which instrument is easier it's like yeah when you're motivated that's the easiest thing in the world Mm -hmm. yeah because you just want to learn about it exactly and you just you find it cool i guess um but yeah i don't know i was i grew up looking up youtube videos and Mm -hmm. i'd be looking up hillary bare hands and listening to adam hurt we'd like get his cd and i just play that and repeat and i think a lot of it was um i i didn't really have a constant teacher too. Mm-hmm. So I kind of became my own teacher a little bit after the Murphy method video. I was just so into it that I was like, I have to figure it out. So, so one of, for anybody who doesn't know, one of Murphy's key principles is uh, learning by ear rather than tab. Do you think that helped you quite a bit to learn in that way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Is there any advice you'd have for people picking up claw hammer of like how to develop your ear? Like maybe if they're used to looking at a tab sheet and don't know how to do anything else? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things we were talking about here in one of our workshops was, you know, just don't be, like, too scared to make a mistake. Hmm. And, um, yeah, you know, the music's for fun. And so it doesn't have to be so perfect either, I think. Yeah. Some of the best tunes or little things that I have feel like I've created have been kind of just me going out on a limb I mean, like, oh, wow, that, that sounds cool, you know? <laughs> and um, I remember one time, when, even when I was young, I, was, I had a friend, and I was, like, teaching him how to play. Mm-hmm. I must have been, like, 12 years old, and we would go to the festivals, and one time he was, like, practicing his little tune, and he was kind of nervous, yeah. and he messed up, and we just, like, both looked at each other, and we were like, holy cow, like, that was so cool. It was, like, a good mess up. <laughs> yeah, it was, like, genius. <laughs> and so, then I think, yeah, I think that contest I tried to play... Um, like Bonnie Prince Charlie, which is on maybe Perspectives by Adam Hurt. Okay. It's like this dark like tune and like 
I played it and it was like I was trying really hard to get it perfect and then he beat me in the contest. Oh, well, <laughs> I guess that's fitting maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious about like you, you described yourself as like being your own teacher. So I'm curious if that means maybe you have perhaps unconventional ways of playing that maybe normal students wouldn't have mm -hmm. taught themselves just because you were left, you know, kind of to your own devices. Yeah, totally. It's been a rewarding and also frustrating journey just trying to be a good musician while remaining a Clawhammer banjo player. That sounds terrible. Well, <laughs> I mean, explain what you mean by that. I, th I think I might know, but... Not uh, necessarily a good musician, but a uh, flexible and professional in the sense that I can hang with different genres yeah. and hang with different techniques, you know, like... I guess I haven't, I'm not the type of musician to just stick to like one thing. I'm like, um, so there's some amazing banjo players that'll just stick to round peak old time mm -hmm. and they're amazing musicians, you know, but I've always just been curious, I think just in general. And, um, I was around musicians that were like, oh, let's play this like Django Reinhardt tune or let's play this. And I'd be like, well, you know, I'd, you want to participate. I want to so, participate, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, if you're up for it, I would love to hear examples of some of the ways that you use the basic claw hammer to do maybe not down the middle old time stuff. I, I assume yeah. that's what you mean. Like, it, you know, stuff that branches out a bit. Yeah, totally. I've been like, always I feel like close enough to be able to play it. I'm like, well, I can kind of do it. It kind of <laughs> works. So then I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just stick to claw hammer, you know? Yeah. But, like, I guess something part of me is, like, I think it's possible, you know? And so I've always kind of had that standpoint. And sometimes it's, like, sometimes I'm, like, ah, I'm just going to learn the, like, I'm going to learn the guitar instead. But for some reason, I just have always had Clawhammer as my primary thing and then ended up going to Berkeley and then same thing continues still. So, like, what would be some playing examples of, like, you using Clawhammer to play things that people aren't usually playing claw hammer banjo with mm -hmm. um yeah so sometimes it's like doesn't work out but then sometimes mm -hmm. i'm like wow like i would have never thought of this but it works out great um like i at berkeley i did some like i did like a bebop type ensemble oh wow and it was like i'm still like i think it's possible but it doesn't sound very good <laughs> are you able to play something for me to yeah hear yeah. what bebop I've... claw hammer banjo sounds like oh um see i'm not that's the one that was didn't work out so right, well. But right. <laughs> at one point I had worked out um, Donna Lee a little bit. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So um but the chords work pretty well. You know. Yeah. But um I did learn a batch of Swedish tunes from Natalie Haas, and for some reason it worked out really well. I'll play some of that. Yeah. Let's see. Um. Thank you. 
That's very cool. They're really I, fun. I dig that. Yeah. Who's, uh, I, I know you said you learned it from, from Natalie, but whose piece is that? Or is that a I traditional think, something or other? I think it's pretty traditional. Um, but I think the author is Lars Fredriksson. Huh. Okay. I believe. Yeah. Nice. Polska Al Lars Fredriksson. Okay. Cool. Something. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you have any other examples coming to mind? Of, like, I love hearing all these different oh, yeah. styles on Clawhammer. So, I, I could just keep listening to you do this stuff. So I got really into like... That's um, a Bela Fleck tune I can hear. I, yeah. Yeah, you got right. it. <laughs> it has... Um, Bela has a lot of... Well, he's Bela, but he has a lot of cool um, rhythm stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Um, like that one has that kind of, I believe it's a three over four. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I kind of figured out how to do that in claw hammer. Because um, normally we're just going bum diddy bum diddy. Right. But then I had to go. I love that. That's great. <laughs> uh, so you, you mentioned you went to Berkeley, um, which you just completed. Is that right? I did. Congrats. Thank you. Um, who was the main person who you were studying with over there? I was, my banjo teacher was Greg List. Kidding. Yeah, and he and okay. So anyone who knows who he is, he is not known as a clawhammer player. Not does, at all. Does he play clawhammer? Uh, no, he doesn't. Okay, so your instruction had nothing to do with like mechanics or clawhammer specific. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it, it was challenging at times. Some like like I said, sometimes the tune would work out great. Hmm. Sometimes not really. But he did. He was always encouraging me to you know pave my own path. Yeah. And sometimes I would get really into like one of Bela's roles and I'd be like, maybe I can figure out some technique where I'm still kind of doing claw hammer. Okay. So. Were you able to actually develop things like that? Yeah, a little bit. I can't really remember each one of those rules. Okay. But I've kind of made up a way of doing roles with the claw hammer. That, that's really interesting that you say that because as you were warming up ahead of time before we started recording here, that... It's what I thought I was hearing. I was like, wow, you're playing mm -hmm. claw hammer rolls. Yeah. Which is, you know, really cool and definitely appeals to my ear being more of a, a bluegrass guy. Yeah. Hey, folks, just need to take a quick break to tell you all about my good friends up in Lansing, Michigan at Elderly Instruments. Now, you might be thinking that with Elderly's amazing selection and their fast worldwide shipping, that they are some big box conglomerate store. 
But no, Elderly has been family-owned since 1972, and they pride themselves on giving you the customer service and personal touch that only a mom-and-pop store can give you. So the next time you need anything for your banjo, guitar, violin, mandolin, any stringed instruments, accessories, instructional materials, and I'm talking about whether you're looking for a beginner instrument or even a high-end, vintage, hard-to-find item, Elderly is going to have you covered. It's my first place that I go. So check them out at elderly.com. And don't forget to let them know that the Piggy Fingers Banjo Podcast sent you. This podcast is also brought to you by Peghead Nation, a site that brings you streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other roots music styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in the world. Now, some of what Peghead Nation offers is a great lineup, of course, of banjo instruction. Check out these courses. Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward-style banjo with Bruce Molsky, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, and Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. Now, regardless of what course you choose, you're going to get high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes to play. Now, perhaps the best part of all this is that just by being a Picky Fingers podcast listener, you are going to get your first month free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's PICKYFINGERS, all lowercase, all one word, over at pegheadnation.com. Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is proud to welcome a brand new sponsor, Sullivan Banjos. The Sullivan family has been in the banjo making business for decades and have earned their reputation for the highest quality in materials and craftsmanship. Perhaps the best part is you get the big time Sullivan tone while getting the personal customer service of a small boutique banjo custom shop. Chances are that if you can dream it, Eric Sullivan can build it. My main banjo is proof. I've been playing and loving my Sullivan Custom Banjo since 2004, and it just keeps getting better and better every day. So hop online and go to SullivanBanjos.com, email them at SullivanBanjo at gmail.com, or get a hold of them the old-fashioned way. Pick up the phone and dial 502-365-5022. And don't forget to tell them that Keith from the Picky Fingers podcast sent you. Is that the main takeaway you feel like you got from your education with Greg was just the motivation to do something that was unique and your own? Yeah, kind of not feeling limited by the claw hammer. Okay. And I was like, well, I'm here as a claw hammer banjo player and he can't really show me claw hammer stuff. So yeah, it was always sometimes I was like, Greg, I don't know. Like (laughs) I wouldn't practice the tune. And then like two weeks would go by and he'd, he was always chill about it. But I go, we'll try this one instead, you know. Huh. But some of the stuff I would get, and I'm still pretty excited about. So, and were there any other Clawhammer players there with you? There was like for like a semester or two. Then they dropped out. Okay. And th- yeah, at first when I started, there was like five banjo players, and kind of was like three or four most of the time. So. Inter- so they don't necessarily have like a a path for you set up with like instructors that specialize in that sounds like yeah not really no it's just greg teaching 
even as far as bluegrass players go, he's con- unconventional yeah. already. And yeah, to have that extra style weirdness, that's... Yeah. yeah that's nuts. It was fun. Yeah, and he... Um, I guess I should mention with the whole like innovation thing. Yeah, I was wanting to play other styles and should probably name drop a few people. Um, at Galax, I would be hanging around Danny Nicely, Rex McGee, and Nate Leith. Yeah. They're just like monster musicians and they play mm-hmm. all these different tunes and I would want to participate in that. And yeah, Nate just had this really cool style. And then I heard of um, Rashad Eggleston who plays cello, really unconventional. And <laughs> right. Well, I saw Ned and Ned saw Dave and Dave saw Joe and Joe saw Bert and Bert told Joe to rosin his boats and now's a good time to play cello, yeah. Yeah, I got like really obsessed with him when I was like 15. Wow. And then yeah. I tried to copy his like bow bounce stuff. Um, Whoa, let me hear that. <laughs> well, um, I guess like. And then like. Um, me and my buddy Andrew Vokes would do Durang's Hornpipe. Uh-huh. This would be the intro. And then he would go like with his bow bounce like... That's awesome. <laughs> and what it's instrument do, did you say Andrew was his name? Yeah, he played a, Is that fiddle. a fiddler. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now, to properly do it like Rashad, though, you have to be shirtless up in a tree. Yeah. You know that, right? Yeah. Have you mastered course. that part? Okay. <laughs> um, a little bit, not too much. <laughs> I did that a little more before. Um, yeah, I do not... have a video with me and my sibling Lou where we're jamming in a tree. And I'm doing a split. Oh, wow. I was just joking. And like, <laughs> you, you actually have do, done that. Okay. Not That's as, crazy. not as, I don't go as high in the tree as Rashad. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So, man, you have so many interesting techniques. I'm wondering. So, the listeners here are mostly banjo aficionados or, or learning. And I'm, I'm curious as to, you've already shown us some techniques, but. What ones do you think are maybe the most helpful, I guess, to developing, in your case, whatever you consider to be your your style? Are there particular actual playing techniques that you discovered that helped you along the way? Um, yeah. Well, the cluck is a good one, and that's well known. It's like... So that's classic. And then I just really like doing these like little polyrhythmic uh, drop thumbs. Um, like. Mm-hmm. 
And then, uh, so, so let me let me sure. pause you right there because I'm someone who doesn't play Clawhammer, but my understanding is the unconventional part of that is the fact that your thumb was playing the downbeat note mm -hmm. as opposed to the downstroke, which usually plays the downbeat note, and your thumb will play the upbeats. Yeah, is that kind of a fair analysis um, of of sort of what your the thumb trick is, was there? The thumb is actually playing um the upbeats. Is it? Okay, it is, I was yeah. just mishearing it or seeing it, I guess. But I was doing, um, what's I guess a little unconventional is the, I call it a ghost note, where mm -hmm. normally you would strike, do the thumb on the upbeat, and then strike again. Yeah. Like, um... But I would do the ghost note and let the, um, the thumb ring out until the beat is finished like um oh let's see instead of yeah and you can just go far with it yeah, so. sometimes in playing banjo rolls three finger style leaving out notes actually you know you're playing fewer notes but it actually becomes more challenging because you're out of the the rolling nature of that right is that true for that as well as but that it's actually tougher to leave out notes rather than playing more of them well it is but i think um a lot of people have the issue where they leave it out and then their hand is all out of whack but mm -hmm. that's um the whole like ghost note part about it is that your hand is still moving up and down right and that's kind of what i've learned with claw hammer i'm like people um often think you're kind of limited to just the bum ditty and the yeah that kind of rhythm but within um the bum ditty there's all these little hidden i feel like hidden little rhythms and little more complex ideas that can come out and um yeah, so I've been kind of on this journey. I'm like, oh, it's all in there. It's yeah. just, you need to like unlock it. <laughs> you got kind of have to hear them first and then dissect a way to get at them, I guess. Yeah, like, oh, like just keep, like the bum ditty, it's a kind of a grid. Like kind yeah, of like a map. A, and you yeah. Kinda, um, the drop thumbs are always on that little upbeat. Mm -hmm. And then you, if you combine that with ghosting either the down strike or the, or another up, you can get these, um, polyrhythmic phrases yeah so um like i did this um clave in berkeley to the afro-caribbean lab so i was trying to figure it out on the um banjo so it's like something like just that kind of thing and do you have a way of like deploying that in your improvisations or in your composing or anything like that i think um or it'll just be in there until you think you need it <laughs> yeah i i'd kind of do it too much to tunes i think okay um like you know, that's very calypso y yeah. type, type of sound. For I sure. love, I love, I've just, I like it. It's interesting to me, but. Uh, and then the one that you demonstrated where you were mimicking the, the Rashad 
bow bounce, you were almost doing like a flamenco finger brush with that, I thought. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, so I do. Um, I do this thing where I uh, actually use my thumbnail coming up. Huh. And I kind of like hit the banjo up on the scoop part. That kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. And um, I do that with the bum ditty too. It's like instead of um, striking with a finger like regular bum ditty, I take that out and replace it with a um, striking up with the thumbnail. Wow. And that's fun. And then you can combine, have this like skipping feel. sounds very Greg Listy to me. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Man, Greg. And then Greg, I'm like, I'll never do, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to do that, what Greg does, because he's... not. None of us will, but yeah. Yeah. Me and Greg did a tune for my senior recital. I was like, oh, I want to come up with some cool little, like, floaty intro. And he's like, do one of those claw hammer rolls. Yeah. And we did something. Um, it was actually for um, the Bela tune there. Slipstream. Uh-huh. I think we did like... Or maybe like... I don't know what the chords were. Very cool. Let's talk about the Wildmans. Is that still a group that you mm -hmm. perform? That's like your main performing yeah. thing that you do. Is that is that true? Yeah, yeah. I'd say that's the main band I'm performing with. That's just a, a three-piece, is that right? It's a three-piece, but we usually um, get a bass player, drummer sometimes on tour with us. Okay. But. We'll talk about what what that band is like and what people, people could maybe expect to see if they come see you play with that group. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And, um, well, when I was um, 17, me and Lou, who I mentioned a couple times, ran down to Boone, North Carolina, and I lived with my friend Dane Sheeler and Quinlan. I don't remember Quinlan's last name, but they're great musicians and um, old-time friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Dane let me live in his um, house there while he was going to App State University. Right. Um, and... Lived there for a while. Then I started visiting Floyd, my friends, the Wildmans. And then um, a few months later, I 
Well, they had this old studio out, and we fixed up the studio, and I moved in. And that was in 20... And is Floyd pretty close to Boone? It's like two hours, actually. Okay. But it was closer than Front Royal was. Okay. So, and then, yeah, I moved in 2017, started playing with them. Mm-hmm. And their brother and sister, Eli and Isla, and... um. Yeah, and then I was just kind of like part of their family, and they're like, oh, you got to go to Berkeley and stuff. Like, come to this camp. And I was like, no, I don't have the money. Like, I'm not going. <laughs> I was like, college is a scam. No. <laughs> they're like, you have to do it. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and then I did it. <laughs> they just told you you had to. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. And then, um, yeah, and we've just been playing together since, and I went to Berkeley with them. It's a pretty old-timey sounding group, right? You know, it's with, yeah. but it's with singing and original music. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of changed throughout the years, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I don't know. I want to say they did more almost bluegrass when I first met them, and then I okay. kind of got them into old time, I feel like. Nice. And then, yeah, so now it's like half old time and then half like um, Eli, the guitar player. He's been into like, oh gosh, what's his name? The country classic just all these country like Emmy Lou Harris and um mm-hmm. all those so he's been in those old country songs and Flying Burrito Brothers and stuff okay so we do a couple of those type of songs and singing songs and Isla she likes a lot of different music we do a Tedeschi Trucks cover it's okay. a little mix it's like yeah. half half it's funny it's like half old time and then half just like totally kind of different just <laughs> whatever yeah yeah that's cool so let's talk about your composing, because you compose quite a bit too, right? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. I think I've been trying to reel in all the stuff I was exposed to at Berkeley, and so I'm hoping to put it together and make a little album in, nice. the, in the future soon. So, I mean, to the extent that you have composed, do you have a typical process that you that you do that, or are you able to like maybe share one of your original compositions and, and take us through maybe some of the techniques that you're using? Yeah, sure. Um, let's see. I'll go down to this tuning here. What tuning were you in? Just then? Yeah. Double C. Were you? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, here's a tune um, I wrote. What's that one called? Yeah, it's called Rusty. Okay, that's on one of your albums, right? It is, yeah. Okay, nice. And so, in terms of like the composing process, what's kind of your style? Do you you usually have like 
some sort of feeling that you go for or maybe a banjo technique that you are exploring and, and stumble upon uh, something catchy or what? Um, these days, yeah, I have a couple of things that help me. But then when I wrote that tune, I was, I don't know, 15 or something. Hmm. And um, it's funny because after I've heard all these advice and tips and um, um, techniques for writing tunes... I've actually, it's actually become harder. <laughs> oh, wow. Just because you're trying to like think of all the things you're supposed to yeah. re remember or what, instead of just letting it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And people kind of talk about that with like going to music school. Huh. They okay. kind of get burned out. I could, I could envision that happening. I've yeah. never gone to music school, but yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. But so feeling, yeah, that's a good one. I think, yeah, a lot of the tunes that I've written are like kind of about something. Whether it's like, like I have one called The Ghost on Hippie Hill, which is a hill at Mount Airy Fiddler's Convention. Uh -huh. It's kind of just like about the vibe there. It's a haunted kind of vibe? It is a haunted kind of vibe, yeah. In a bad way or like a No, in like a fun, cool way. exciting way. Like, okay. like I was a kid and it was like all these hippies playing on the hill and smoking pot. <laughs> <laughs> and but, you got a tune out of it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so yeah, a lot of them was kind of like based on a feeling or like, Kind of being like, okay, I want to write it about something. Because people are like, oh, you're going to write a song then if you're going to write about something. Uh -huh. Or like a person or like, you know, some kind of like situation you're going through or some like relationship, you know, you're like, but it's like you can express it through the tune too. So yeah. that's, yeah, one of the tips. And then for me now, I'm just starting with a rhythm that's really groovy. Even before you start the melody, that's another tip. So what was, what's Rusty about? Rusty? I don't really remember. I think probably um, the girlfriend at the time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What, did she have red hair or something? No, no. Okay. The, t the name was irrelevant. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Sometimes it's like not just one thing too. I mean, I would go out in the woods a lot, so it's kind of just like a peaceful tune. So on, on that note, maybe it could be about multiple things. Do you tend to write complete tunes in one sitting, or do you maybe have a little passage kicking around in your head for maybe even years that's a good one yeah that's a good question i think for me personally i generally do it in one sitting hmm. but i do have like these like project tunes that i'm working on every time yeah but um i think it's good to keep keep it fresh like don't only have one tune that you're working on because you might get frustrated you can have it on the side but you have to allow things to come out you know like you have to release certain ideas and new things to come in yeah so i think that was a um something that i believe in that's probably something that i'm weak at so i'm glad to hear you say that weak in terms of uh focusing on one tune maybe at the expense of being open to something else that i might think of that doesn't have to be related to that yeah so it can that, that it can give you a new approach i think I, I know you said you're trying to forget the things that you're trying to, that you learned at, at Berkeley that might ruin you, but like what are <laughs> some of the basic like tips for composing that you learned there? Um, I think a lot of um, just being aware of theory stuff, hmm. which was like, it's like kind of a blessing and a curse because before I came to Berkeley, I was like, I was also like, I don't know, like it's so expensive and like, I don't even know how to read music. Like, I don't even know the chords I'm playing or music theory. Oh, wow. 
they're like, well, learn how to read music. I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I'm like still like, ah. Oh. <laughs> but it's helped though too. Um, I've definitely advanced my ears and stuff. But I think, yeah, learning theory and learning about harmony and um, these kind of jazzy chords. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I got there, Matt Glazier is the head of the Roots department. And he said, um, take a tritone, like um, I guess you could do, you could do a E and B flat mm-hmm. and then sing the root. And then he said, so sing a C. Da. And then slide it down half step and sing the root of that one. Da. So that was a cool tip. Da. Okay, I get it. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's like perfect for blues. I was like, why has nobody told me I can do blues like in half steps? third and seventh it's like Mm -hmm. it's the third and seventh man yeah just focus on that and i was like how has nobody told me about that the circle of fifths and the third and sevenths yeah so most most chords in a song are like within a fret or two of each other with those thirds and sevenths yeah yeah that's amazing to me too so it sounds like um for all the advantages you might have gotten maybe prior to that you didn't have as many rules to follow so and now you there's like a little voice inside you that tells you not to break these like theory rules kind of um is that kind of it it's kind of just like oh these are like not like options but for some reason just having those labels and like and also yeah i think also being like oh here's how to write a good tune like here's how to make it because there's all this talk about like oh that's like a dark scale or like this is like a bright color oh colors and like it's like formulation it's like oh you want like you want like a happy song that like makes you feel like this then you're going to use like use some ionian and then add a major two chord and you have the lydian and then (laughs) don't forget to add the sharp 11th and i'm like so now like i'm just playing some lydian where normally i would have just been like ooh, this sounds mystical yeah (laughs) and it's like oh i know what's going on but it's just gotten a little academic. Yeah, yeah. But it's also really cool to have learned all that and for sure. All those um I've made a lot of connections and like realizations with the chords. Nice. Mostly. Let's talk about your instrument here. What what is this banjo? It looks really cool. Thanks. Um this is a Dino Craft huh. custom banjo and it's walnut pot and neck. And it looks like a 11 inch pot. Is that? It's actually a 12 inch. Is it? It is. Yeah. Man, my eyes are failing me. It's banjo camp. I mean, we're <laughs> we're overloaded. <I'm> <laughs> and then I have um on the back side I have these bird's eye maple accents. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, it's got a chunky neck, which is kind of like his thing, which was hard to get used to at first, but now I love it. And it's got a Dobson tone ring. Uh huh. And a goat skin head. And my idea was to have the 12 inch pot because I like the um, the thumpy low end. Mm-hmm. 
but then I kind of thought that the Dobson would add a little bit of brightness on the high end too. Okay. So I'm glad you added that because bluegrass people like me, we don't always know all the different uh, old time options like mm-hmm. that. But Dobson is essentially like a hoop, like a yeah, like a yeah. It looks like yeah, cool. I don't know quite how to describe that. A donut cut in half or something. Yeah, it's kind of dished out. I don't know. Look it up on the internet, I guess, people, if you need to if you need to know. Yeah. Oh yeah, and it has this I guess people call this a flange. It's like a wooden flange that goes all the way around holding the brackets in place instead yeah. of having boots. So. It's really cool looking. Is that like a rosewood piece there? Something like that. I don't know, yeah. It's a good question. And so who who did you say the builder was again? His name is Dean Robinson. And where where is that person from? He's in North Carolina. Okay. Forget the town. But. And does, does he make a lot of banjos? Is that is he a, like a known builder? I have not heard the name myself. Yeah, he's not. Um, he doesn't make that that many. He's not as a big of a company. He just has a home wood shop. Yeah, but that's um, really cool. Yeah, I met him at Clifftop, and he makes great banjos. So. And what is this inlay on the headstock? So um, that I was trying to decide. I was going to do the custom inlay and everything and I was just taking so long to decide he's like don't you want your banjo and I was like yeah yeah and he's like what do you want for the inlay and uh-huh. like couldn't decide so he sent me a picture of this I guess it's a fern or like some kind of plant from his yard okay and he's like how about this I was like sure <laughs> and then I was like actually just don't do any inlay on the neck so interesting um, but there's some there's like a little there's dots carving. on the side. Oh, is that an that's an adjustment thing? I was seeing like the oh, truss rod adjustment. The okay. truss rod adjustment is in the scoop. Yeah. Instead of at the top at the head. So Interesting. Headstock. And that's your main banjo, I assume? Yeah, I would say it's my main banjo, yeah. Cool. And what was that pickup system that I saw in there? Sure, yeah. That is a uh, Myers Feather. Okay. Little mini mic. It's kind of like equivalent to a DPA. But I think uh, it works great, yeah. And the microphone is inside the pot, right? It's inside the pot. I have the wire zip-tied and folded up in there and have a Velcro where the tuning has a uh, volume knob, which is nice. Got it. Yeah, right that's cool. Yeah, and it, yeah, it works great. It was only like $200, I think. So Yeah, which is much much less than the DPA for anyone keeping track. Yeah. Um, any other like gear-related stuff or recording related stuff that you're partial to um you know i'm not really super like a gear person or or recording gear but yeah i'm kind of just it's the player not the axe kind of type of person i guess but i've just gone through different banjos and i've never been like super specific i guess and as far as recording i have a couple mics that kathy fink suggested me some warm audio and Okay. They sound good, but I'm still learning how to, um, you know, record myself. Gotcha. What made you choose the skinhead? Obviously, just the tone, but do you do you also have to like wrestle with all the <laughs> challenges of that? Um. Yeah, I think I think I was feeling that the tone would be nice with the skinhead. I was kind of thinking, I'll you know, I'll try it out, and I can always get another head, put it on. Yeah. But I've been really surprised with how well it 
how how tight it stays even when it gets humid. Really? Okay. It, it does definitely go down though. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I guess this is going to be my sound because usually I've lost the wrench to tighten it. Okay. So you just sound floppy for a few days until it, <laughs> yeah. it dries out? Yeah. Okay. But I've gotten a wrench since, so okay. I prefer to be able to adjust it. <laughs> nice. How about uh, leave us with, if you have a, a website or how people find you and keep track of your recordings and your performances, anything yeah. anything else you want people to know? Sure, yeah. I have a couple of things going on. I have um, a YouTube channel, which you can just look up my name, Victor Furtado, and I post a bunch of videos there. Um, have some new ones coming out. I like doing little collaborations with different musicians. I did one with a cello player. I did the Swedish tune. One of the Swedish tunes. And yeah. I did this like Turkish tune with a singer and a percussionist. Whoa, cool. Yeah. I'm um, going to have to find that. Yeah. And then I post a lot on Instagram where on my Instagram, I have a link tree where you can like sign up for lessons and have a website, victorfurtado.net that I'm working on. Nice. So yeah, I just go to the Instagram and YouTube primarily. Great. Get all the info there. Well, hey, thanks again for, uh, Thanks again for your time. I know it's a busy weekend, so I appreciate yeah. you squeezing me in and everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be on the picky fingers. <laughs> happy to have you. Thanks. All right, have a good one. You too. Thanks, everyone, for joining me for this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. You heard a few sound clips in this episode, and in order they were Sugar Hill by Victor Furtado, Old Bunch of Keys by the Bubba George String Band, Bonnie Prince Charlie by Adam Hurt, The Road is Rocky by the Deadly Gentleman, Them Saw Them by Rashad Eggleston, and Richmond by the Wildmans. Thank you once more to Kim Nakay, he's Patreon supporter of the show. Head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the show yourself that is very much appreciated. Or you can always email the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for this show. Wish me luck on the road trip, and I will be back with interviews to share with all of you. So I will see you all next time.